I want to uh, thank God for our pastor, Pastor Conway Edwards. Give him a hand, amen. Yep, I thank him for entrusting me with this opportunity, though he is halfway across the world, um, entrusting me with this opportunity to share the word of God with the people that God has given him stewardship over. I don't take this lightly, and uh, today I have the honor of uh, concluding our Soul Care series, a series in which we have talked about how do we take care of our soul, our inner man, and how do we address anxiety and some of the feelings and storms and trials that we face. And so today, um, we're going to talk about a topic um, that many of us know quite well. Um, by a show of hands, is there anybody that tends to find themselves worrying? Any worriers in the building? Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, going to the Word of God and seeing what answers God has for us in that regard. Because many of us, the, the kryptonite of our lives, the kryptonite of our soul is worry. But how many people know in the Word of God, God gives us the antidote to worry? Amen. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity to minister your word. I pray that you would decrease me, that you might increase. Shut me up, that you might speak up to the end, O oh God, that the people of God may leave here encouraged and enlightened, God. I thank you for this great privilege. God, I pray that you would stand tall in me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. If you would, stand to your feet with me. We are going to find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 25. Here at One Community Church, we believe in standing for the Word of God. And not only do we stand, but we read together. Amen? So uh, we're going to read this text real quick. Um, if you would, let's go ahead and start in verse 25. And it says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Let's keep reading. Verse 26 says, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Basically what he's saying here is, have you ever seen a bird with an ulcer? <laughs> Birds don't worry about where their next meal is coming from. God supplies their needs. And aren't you much more to God than the birds? So why are you worrying? Right? Let's continue to read. And who are you? by being worried, can add a single hour to his life. Anybody in here added to their life by worrying? Truth of the matter is, studies show that it may take away, right? Let's keep reading verse 28. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lily of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you, that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Now, do y'all think that the lilies of the field look at themselves and say, ooh, I'm not pretty today. No, they don't worry about being beautiful. They don't worry about being pretty. What they worry about is stretching themselves to the source of their strength, that is the sun, and then growing to be all that God has called for them to be. And they are so beautiful that they are even more glorious 
than Solomon himself, who had all the money in the world, because the Lord takes care of them. It goes on in verse 30, it says, but if God has clothed the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? The heavens tell of God and his glory. And if God will care for the heavens and the earth the way that he does, you're just a little bit lower than the angels. What do you think he's going to do for your life? Let's keep reading. Do not worry. Pause. Have we heard that word in this text a few times? Right? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothes? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He already knows. Here's, our, here's going to be our, 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 our foundational text for today. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're going to conclude with verse 34, and it says, so do not pause. This is a word for somebody. Let's read that one more time. So do not worry. We're going to keep reading. I just want that to sink in one more time. All right? We're going to read on through this time. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You may be seated. I want to start by telling you this story of a man who went to the doctor. He went to the doctor and as he told the doctor, he had pain from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. I mean, he, he was in anguish. Every time he touched a part of his body, pain shot through his body. And so the doctor examined him and thought it was rather peculiar. He, the doctor was like, hey, this is unusual. I'm examining your body and I don't understand why you are experiencing such great pain throughout the course of your body. However, let's continue the process of this examination. What I want you to do is touch your forehead, touch your elbow, touch your knees, touch your nose. And every time he touched a different part of his body, he would yell out in anguish, it hurts! It hurts, it hurts. To which the doctor began to continue to look at it, and then he said with a sigh, I figured it out. You have a dislocated finger. You have a dislocated finger, and so every time you touch another area of your body, pain shoots through your body. But if we can solve this one problem, then all the pain that you're experiencing in your body or seemingly experiencing in your body will go away. Do y'all realize that's the same thing in our spiritual lives? If we can solve this one problem called worry, how many people know that all the other things in life will begin to line up accordingly? And so we see we find ourselves here in our text for today. And, and, and many of you may not know, but um, there is a sermon in the Bible, the longest sermon that Jesus ever preached while he was on earth. It's recorded in the Bible. It's recorded in Matthew. It takes three full chapters. That's Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, and it's known as the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so when you look at this sermon, the very centerpiece of this sermon is our 
our text for today, which is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And we look at this text, we'll see that it is the centerpiece of the sermon and everything else revolves around it. It simply says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. Tell your neighbor, seek first. To live a life to its fullest and to acknowledge and experience what God created you to do, God and his kingdom must be first. God cannot be one among many. He needs to be first. The problem in most of our lives is that God is merely in the vicinity of our lives, but he is not first. Many of us will say God is in the top five, but he's not first. Many of us will say, well, well you, you, uh, I, I mean, I'm busy. I got family. I got a job. I got all these things that I'm doing. He's in the vicinity, but how many people know that there's one thing that God does not do? He doesn't take second place. Our God is a jealous God, and he desires to be in the first position. Matter of fact, over and over in Scripture, we read about God and, and his, his desire for us to have him as priority. He often asks for us to bring the first fruit of what he has given us, right? What God does is that he asks this because this is an example of how we prioritize him. Matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Honor the Lord with your wealth from the first of all your produce. There's actually a chapter, a chapter in Ephesians, not in Ephesians, but it's about the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelations. And in that book, he tells them, he rebukes them because they have lost their first love. He didn't say that they didn't love him at all. He is saying that they lost their first love. He actually applauds them by saying that they are upstanding people who had persevered and had endured for his name and had not grown weary. But he goes on to say that I do have one issue with you. It's because you have lost your first love. You no longer regard me as first. You just regard me as some among many. And that's what God is trying to get us away from. Many of us have something in our homes called the living room. Anybody got a living room? How many people know that the living room is misnamed? Because none of us actually live in the living room. Most of us spend our time in um, the kitchen, the loft, the family room. Newer homes, we spend our time in the media room. Very rarely do we spend our time in the living room. It actually should be named the visiting room because we visit there on special occasions. Um, I remember growing up and uh, I would go over a friend's house. In his house, you walk in the door, the first room to your left was the living room. Whenever I stepped foot in that room, I would immediately hear, get your tail out of the living room. Because the living room was set aside for special occasions, right? For special people and special times. How many people know in here, when we call God Lord, Father, King, many of us have misnamed God because we reserve him for the visiting room of our lives. We only visit him on Saturday if that's the service we come to. We only visit him on Sunday if that's the service we come through. We only visit him every now and again when we wake up to do devotion. But the truth of the matter is, is that we don't live with God. We only visit God. And, and, and part of the issue 
I want to ask you this question. Are you living with God or are you visiting God? Are you dwelling in God's presence or is he just somebody you see every now and again? What is missing for so many people is the principle of first. Jesus said you are to seek first God, his kingdom, and his righteousness above all else in our lives. When, 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 when the God you acknowledge is not treated as God, you cannot experience the kingdom and its benefits. See, and the following portion uh, that we look at in our text clearly states that if God is not put first, then guess what? We don't get to have access to all these things. Putting God first does not mean that we won't have problems in our life and we won't face issues. What it does mean is that we will be equipped to overcome and get through those problems and issues when all of life aligns under his authority and his rule. Do you know if you're putting God first in your life? That's the question I want to ask you. Do you know if you're putting God first in your life? Do you know how to find out if you're putting God first in your life? Let me share it with you. Where do you go or who do you go to when you have a major decision to make? Where do you go or who do you go to when you face a storm, a trial in your life? Do you run to your friends first? Do you run to your habits and your desires first? Or do you run to God, his word, and his principles first? Where you go in the face of a storm or in the face of a major decision determines where God is in your life. Can I let y'all know that this week I had a situation that, that, that made me evaluate where God is in my life. Many of you may say that you know what, hey, but you're a pastor and you preach and you teach and all that type of stuff. How many people know that all that is great, fine, dandy, and, and fantastic, but you know how you really know if God is priority in your life? is when you face something, where do you go in the time of trouble? Can I let you know that over a week ago, my wife found a lump in her left breast. And so, hey, we're gonna go see the doctor. The doctor says, you know, it could be a cyst or it could be a tumor. Go get a mammogram. Let's see what the situation is. This week, we go get a mammogram, get an ultrasound. Doctor says, it's a tumor, it's not a cyst. So here I am. Everything was great. Everything was fine. Life was going well. And now I have a storm. Do y'all know that I was glad to hear in my own self that I needed to run to the Lord? I, I, I could have called somebody else. But I apologize. Some meetings got canceled. Some phone calls didn't get called back. But I had to lay before the Lord because my baby is now in trouble. But the truth of the matter is, is we all need to evaluate where do we go when storms come? Who do we run to? Who do we pick up and call? What habits do you find yourself doing when storms come in your life? And I'm not going to say that I'm perfect because the truth of the matter is, is there's still some stuff I got to work on even in the face of this storm. There's still some things that I have to walk through with my wife in the face of this storm. Now, guess what? God is still able. 
We got a biopsy tomorrow. We don't know what the full journey is. It may come back benign, and that's what we're praying. But even if it doesn't, guess what I'm going to do? Seek the Lord. So we all must evaluate. When you got a decision to make, when you're in the face of the storm, where do you run? And, 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 and I'll continue to share with you that there are some things I have to work through. There are some, some decisions I have to make. There are some things I need to adjust in my life to make sure that I don't just preach a word, but that I align up with the word. Because I'm glad I made the first call right. But do y'all know that worry still rushed up in my body? I'm, sit, I'm sitting here preparing a sermon about worry, and here I am in the doctor's office like, God, why me? And you want me to teach the people? God, I just like to share with the people what thus saith the Lord. You going to make me walk this thing out? So even if no one else gets ministered to, I got to preach and minister to me. See, because I'm a firm believer that God just wants us to seek him first. Any parents in here? Have any of y'all used this phrase, why didn't you come to me first? I, I just wish you would have come to me first. You could have avoided some of the mishaps. You could have bypassed some of the problems. I just need you to come to me first. Can I let y'all know that the very thing that God is telling you and he's telling me right now, I just want you to come to me first. I know what the doctor says, but come to me first. I know what the lawyer told you, but come to me first. I know what the bank account says, but I'm the supplier of all your needs. Come to me first. So many of us send our souls through toil because we try to fix it. We try to solve it. We try to obtain it. And God says, you stop working on it and give it to me. Seek first God, his kingdom, and his righteousness. And he says, you ain't even got to worry about the other stuff because all these things will be added unto you. In the midst of scripture, in the midst of our human tendency to worry, God gives us the antidote. Say the antidote for worry. Do y'all see it right there in the text? Verse 33 of our text is the antidote. If we looked at the scripture that we read, surrounding verse 33 is this reoccurring theme. Did y'all catch it? Verse 25 says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. Verse 27 goes on to say, and who for you by being worried? And why are you worried? So do not worry. And then after he gives us the antidote, he just affirms, affirms what he just, he asks us another question. Do not worry then. 
In the midst of our human tendency to worry, God provides us with the very solution for our worry. He says, if you seek first his kingdom and his righteous standards, he will grant you all the things that often are the focus of your worry. But I know some of y'all are like, man, Pastor Z, that's cool, but you know, I've been walking with Jesus a long time. I don't worry no more. I've done seen what the Lord can do. I don't worry no more. That's because some of us call it something else, right? Yeah, we... See, some of us, we, we, we call it like, we, like the things we say to cover up our worry. I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. I'm not worried. I'm just a planner. I'm not worried. I'm just nervous. I'm not worried. I'm just preoccupied with the situation. I'm not worried, I just care deeply. And this is me right here. I'm not worried, I just like to know what's going on. (laughs) Can I tell y'all that as soon as my wife heard the news, she weeped like a baby. And I just stood there in the doctor's office holding her because that's all I knew to do. And as she asked, she looked me in my eye and she asked me, are you okay? I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm not worried. But in my head, all I could think is, I just wanna know. Do y'all know what is killing me right now? Is that we found out last week and I had to walk all this week. We got a biopsy tomorrow and the answer takes three to five days. I just need to know what the next step is. And you know, for me, that doesn't sound like worry, but the truth of the matter is that as I begin to study, that's worry because you don't need to know. The only person that needs to know is the Lord. What are you gonna do if you know? Then what are you going to do? You're going to have to come back to me and trust me anyway. So what does it matter? You might as well come to me and rest in me. Stop your worrying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you know. It matters who you know. Do you know that I am king of this kingdom that you say you're part of. And if I take care of the birds, I'll take care of you. If I take care of lilies, I'll take care of you. Trust in me. Put me first and I'll take care of the rest. Because the truth of the matter is, is the really only thing you need to know is where God is. Can I tell y'all, man, um, I used to travel a lot for work. And um, there was one particular time, like, I, I always shared my schedule with my wife. And um, as soon as she knew my last meeting was over, she'd call me and say, are you headed to the airport yet? The reason she would do that is because we got three kids. And if y'all have ever met my kids, um, you know, they maybe have her tied up by the time I get back. 
So she would always call and say, are you headed to the airport or are you going to make your flight? Um, one particular time, man, I, I let the meeting run a little long, and I almost missed my flight. I mean, you know, I got in past TSA. I ain't got clear. I ain't got all that pre-check some of y'all got. You know, I had to wait, and I finally get in there, and I got to run through. You know, I'm dodging people. I'm spinning. I'm getting it done. I mean, honestly, you know what? Christian McCaffrey would have, uh, he, he would have been jealous of some of my moves. De Derek Henry, man, he would have been jealous of some of my moves. Matter of fact, I think I stiffed on the little kid, but he was all right. You know what I mean? He, he popped back up. It's okay. But as I was running, I bumped into a man with a uniform on. And, you know, I had to slow down. I didn't know what type of uniform it was, so I had to slow down and apologize, like, sir, I, I apologize. I, I'm just trying to get to my flight. To which the man responded, what flight are you trying to get to? I'm trying to get back to DFW flight 1226. The man says, oh, you can slow down. I'm the pilot for that flight. <laughs> that flight is going nowhere without me. Do y'all realize? My step changed. I, I ain't have to run no more because I was with the pilot. Do y'all realize that the reason God says come to me is so that you will understand where the pilot is? Because wherever the pilot is determines your destination. Long as you know where the pilot is, long as you know who's in control, long as you know who is going with you to where you're going, all you need is to know where the pilot is. Stop running and worrying and, and tripping over and running into people, stiff-arming little kids because you're worried about the troubles of your life. God says, seek me and find out where I am and what I'm going to do. And let me take care of the rest. So many times we find ourselves in the midst of chaos because we won't seek first the kingdom. I'm just here to challenge you of all the problems you face, whatever the category it is, of all the issues that keep on perpetually defeating you, have you placed God first in that area? I just want to ask you another question. I'm just, I want to make sure you ask the question for yourself. I know what God's doing in me. Do you know what God's doing in you? Have you looked to honor him first in your heart, your attitude, your choices, and your thoughts? Have you sought his wisdom and will, and will for how you will respond to a given situation? If you have not, then go ahead and worry. You need to worry because you own it by yourself. But if you've entrusted it in the Lord's hands, you can stop worrying because he's got it. Tell somebody yesterday, today, and tomorrow. One more time, I need y'all Garland, Prosper, Dallas, Louisville, say it with us. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Do y'all understand that many of us are crucifying ourselves between two thieves? Yesterday and tomorrow. Many of us are dying in the middle, not enjoying today because we are crucified between two thieves that are stealing our joy called yesterday and tomorrow. We're killing ourselves worrying about what happened yesterday 
And we can't enjoy today because we're concerned about what may happen tomorrow. When God says, stop killing yourself, what I need for you to do is focus on my presence today. Because guess what? I got you through yesterday and I'm the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's no need for you to worry because I'm here today. I gave you brand new mercies. And guess what? As long as you're on earth, you're going to have tomorrows. And when tomorrow show up, guess what I'm going to give you? Brand new mercies. I'm going to be the same God there. So why are you worrying? What I need for you to do is stop worrying and enjoy my presence today. Seek me today. Come to me today. Lay before me today. Study your word today. And let tomorrow worry about itself. Y'all understand the, the three things that I want to make sure you guys take home. If you don't take nothing else home, the three things you do today is embrace today, let go of yesterday, and don't fear tomorrow. Simple. I ain't got nothing deep for y'all. This is easy. Embrace today. Let go of yesterday. And don't fear tomorrow. I would like to challenge you to change one thing and watch how this one thing changes everything else. When you put God first, all else will fall into place. Make him first in your thoughts, hopes, and decisions. Put him first when you spend your time. Put him first when, when you look at how to view life and life situations. Please him first, honor him first, give to him first, and all else will get in line. God doesn't say to put him first as a request. Do y'all realize that this is a demand from a deserving king? And if you call yourself a Christian who lives in the kingdom of God, then you need to align up with the king's demands, which he says, seek me first. But when you choose to obey this principle, you will reap the benefits of abundant life that Jesus came and died for you to have. In other words, God's got your back when you put him first. A lot of people never get a chance to see what it looks like for God to have their back because they are out there trying to fix it and solve it and tweak it and obtain it themselves. Can I let y'all know that you have to keep in mind that God said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now I can tell some of y'all been living with the Lord a little while. So guess what? Y'all know what kingdom is, but some of us need to learn what righteousness is. Righteousness is the standard God requires for people to be rightly related to him. It includes abiding by the governing guidelines that he sets as king. In other words, if you are a Christian and you want to know the right way to go, to think, to perceive, to act, to react, and to relate, then that is called righteousness. Can I define it this way? I gave you a whole bunch of words. Just a simple one right here. Righteousness simply defined is God's standard for living life. God's standard for living life. His kingdom and his righteousness are to be what we each seek first. Without them, we are wandering around aimlessly without support and without backing from the king. How many people know I don't want to be out there by myself? I've lived long enough to know that I ain't got no power without him. I've lived long enough to know I cannot figure things out without him. I do not want to wander around aimless. I do not want to be alone. I need the Lord with me or I will jack this thing up. 
And so what you need to do is seek him so that he is in the midst of your situation. Seek him first. Because guess what? If you don't seek him first, then everything else is going to fall apart. Everything else is for naught. I used to play this game called baseball. In baseball, if you miss first base, it don't matter if you touch second. It don't matter if you touch third. It don't matter how cool you slide in the home. If you did not touch first base, everything you did after that is for naught. Don't matter how many people are cheering in the stands. It doesn't matter if your team comes out the dugout and cheers you on. Guess what? If you miss first base, then everything else has no value. Do y'all realize that's the same thing in the kingdom? If you don't seek him first, then everything you do after that does not have him in it, so it's for naught. Doesn't matter what your friends say. Don't matter how many good deeds you do. No matter how many accolades and acknowledgments you receive, if you don't seek him first, then guess what? You've missed the whole ball game. We must understand that in kingdom living, if you fail to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, all else is for naught, simply because he has established his rightful place as first, and without you, uh, 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 without him in your life, you are out there on your own. Can I tell you, I just want you to encourage your neighbor, say, what it takes is commitment and priority. Tell your neighbor, commitment and priority. When you look around the Christian kingdom today, you frequently see chaos. Anybody see chaos other than me? Some of the chaos we see is you see marriages falling apart at the same rate as the world. You see singles who are struggling to be content. You see debt ruling, you see addictions running amok, and yet so many people are faithfully attending church on a regular basis, and they leave church thinking that my Christianity is just not working. Some Christians are more worn out, more lonely, more miserable, and more frustrated than some of the people in the world. And do you know why that is? Many of us have concluded that either this thing called Christianity is not real or is simply not real to me. However, there is a reason why so many well-intentioned believers are falling short of God's best for their lives. The reason that their souls are not happy and they're not healthy is because guess what? They have gone past, they have bypassed, they have forgot about, they are moving forward without the password called priority. They cannot access God, what God has in store for them, because he has not been prioritized in their life. Do you know that the password to victorious living, the password to healthy soul care is this word F-I-R-S-T. That's the password, which gives you access to all that God has in store for you. And now I know that I've been talking a lot about this concept called first, and I know that many of you guys are sitting there like, boom, got it, wrote it down, got the notes. Thank you, Pastor. Let's go. <laughs> what does it look like? How do I do this thing? One of my favorite chapters in Scripture is Romans chapter 12. I'm just a Pauline epistle guy. I love them all. But Romans chapter 12 and Pastor Conway preached this in one of his sermons in this series. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, 
to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The problem with many Christians, while they have made a decision to become a Christian and trusted Jesus as their savior, they have not made the decision to become a disciple. Y'all understand that being a Christian and a disciple are different, right? A Christian means I'm saved and guess what? I'm going to heaven. A disciple says, you know what? I'm giving my whole life to God. He died on the cross for me, therefore I owe him my very life. The difference between the decision maker and the person that's a disciple is this word called surrender. It means that you know what? I give my whole self away. Y'all know what surrender looks like? It's being a living sacrifice. Do y'all know what sacrifice means? It means a dead thing. So proper translation would mean you are a living dead thing. That means that guess what? I'm accessible to the Lord, but I'm dead to my own will and anything that the devil wants me to do. I'm laying myself on the altar. I'm giving myself away. Do y'all know that part of the problem is that many of us will will accept salvation, we'll put ourselves on the altar, but then we'll pick ourselves right on off. Like, hold on, Lord, I ain't signed up for all this. Hold on. But I love the picture that Pastor Conway gave when he was preaching this particular text. He talked about these four horns and how the sacrifice was tied to these horns. And so the sacrifice, even though it was uncomfortable, could not get away because it had fully committed itself to being the sacrifice. Even when the fire gets hot, guess what? I may twitch, but I'm trusting God. Even when the storm begins to blow, it may be uncomfortable. I might want to get off, but I can't because I fully committed myself to God. And what does that look like? What does that look like? It means that, you know what, there needs to be some adjustments in my life. It it, it means that, guess what, I need to, 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 to give myself away, and it may mean giving up my agenda. It may mean giving up my will. It may mean sacrificing some of the things that I want to do. Anybody ever heard the story of the chicken and the pig? No, uh, so there was a chicken and a pig. They were walking down the street. They saw this grocery store. In the sign, in the, in the grocery store window was a sign that says, desperately in need of eggs and bacon. To which the chicken was like, hey, man, I think we should help the store out. I'll give the eggs. You give the bacon. The pig like, wait, hold up. Nah, I ain't going for that. The chicken was like, man, this is our favorite store. We need to contribute to the community, man. The pig says, no, because you giving eggs is a contribution. Me giving bacon is going to cost me my very life. Do y'all know that many of us are like that chicken? We're willing to give the kingdom a contribution. We're willing to give the kingdom an egg or two, but we're not willing to die for what God has called for us to do. We're not willing to put ourselves on the altar and say that, you know what, for God I live and for God I'll die. It doesn't, we, we don't want to live and say, God, I give everything else away to follow you completely. God is saying, you know what, I need somebody that's willing to sacrifice. And do you know how to get there? It's not religion, it's relationship. Y'all know what religion is? Religion are external practices, external rituals that we do that may be godly, but leave God out. Relationship says that, you know what, I'm pressing full way into God, no matter what it takes. 
Can I let y'all know that's where I'm convicted right now? Do y'all know, man, uh, one of the things the Lord told me was that, great, son, you are very religious. You do all the right things. You're a pastor. You're always in the Word, always interceding on behalf of other people, always praying for people, always, always counseling people. You're always at the church. Ask your wife. <laughs> but do you know one of the things that God told me is that I want an intimate relationship with you. Y'all know where I'm challenged at? Is that most of the time, I'm always in the Bible. You ain't got to worry about me not being in the Word of God. I'm always there. But you know why I'm always there? Because I'm always preparing to preach, teach, or tell something to somebody else. Y'all know the conviction that God has given me in the midst of this storm? When are you going to come to me for you? I, know, I don't know what God's telling you. I, I don't know what adjustments you need to make in your life. But for me, God is saying, when are you going to come to me for your soul? You can be there for everybody else. You can study, you can preach, you can do for everybody else. When are you going to do for you? Because if you don't put me first in this thing, this thing is going to crumble you. If you don't put me first in this situation, guess what? You're going to fall apart. And everybody else that's depending on you, guess what? It's going to be for naught because you're not going to be able to hold it through because you're going to be empty. And you know what you can do when you're empty? Nothing. I don't know what God is telling you in your storm. But whatever adjustment you need to make, whatever decision or shift you need to make, seek first. Because God ain't looking for religious people. God is looking for relationship. God is not looking for structure. God is looking for surrender. God is looking for people that are willing to say, God, I prioritize you over everything else. Because the truth of the matter is, many of us don't have a problem with doing godly activities. But how many people know God likes you doing activities, but what God really wants is you? And so my encouragement today is that you strengthen your relationship with God. Don't check off a, a religious box. Don't have a religious to-do list. But when was the last time you just sat in the presence of God and said, God, I'm going to stop. And I'm actually going to shut up. I'm just going to sit here and be quiet and listen for your still, small voice. Because if you don't speak, I don't know what I'm going to do. And if I don't hear you, guess what? I'm going to get in my word. Because your word speaks as well. And hey, if I'm here, guess what? I have a community of people that are willing to pray with me as well. And we're going to come together and sit in your presence. And I'll do it until I hear you. Until I get the direction that I need. Because I know that your word is true. That if I seek you, I will find you. And if I find you, I'll get everything that I need. There's this last story I want to tell you, man. There's this woman who was married to um, this man. Very cruel, rude, um, domineering, demanding man. They were married 20 years. Early in her marriage, she realized that um, if she didn't finish the list of checklists and the to-dos that he had given her, then her life would be miserable. So for 20 years, she had a list in the top drawer of her nightstand that rather than pray, 
When she woke up in the morning, she grabbed that list so that she could live in a place of peace. After 20 years, the man died. A few years after that, she meets another man. This man is loving, patient, kind, gentle. All he wants to do is spend time with her. He pursues her every time he gets. Do y'all know that this woman found herself doing the very things that she did for her first husband, for her second husband? But this time it was motivated by love. She didn't have to have a list. She was doing it because she loved him. Matter of fact, it wasn't but for a few years later that she went in that top drawer and found the old list from her first husband. Looked through that list and realized I'm doing more now than I was then. But I'm not doing it begrudgingly. I'm doing it with joy. Do y'all realize that's the difference between religion and relationship? That when you're in religion, I'm checking off a list. And sometimes we do it begrudgingly. We serve begrudgingly. We read the Bible begrudgingly. We pray begrudgingly. God is saying, if you get in relationship with me, these things won't be something that you do out of duty. It'll stuff that you'll do because you love me. And you'll find yourself doing more, and it won't cost you more, because you know that in the kingdom, doing these things has great benefit. And so my encouragement for you today is seek God first. That's what he requires as the king of this kingdom. And don't do it out of structure, religion, or anything else. Do it out of relationship because you know that he loves you. And if you do it, you reap the benefits of the kingdom. Dear God, we thank you for your word. And I share my story so that people realize that the preacher is not some sage on the stage. They go through stuff too. And we can't just preach sermons that we don't live out ourselves. And so, God, I pray that the people of God would leave here educated, not because they heard some stories, but because they heard your word. And that they would leave here Realizing, God, that the antidote for their worry, the antidote for their concern, the antidote for their anxiety, the antidote for their, their, the, the things that they are going through that weigh them down is to seek you first out of relationship and everything else will fall in line. Help us, oh God. Help us help ourselves because you're all the help that we need. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.